Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long, and now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Happy New Year to everybody. Shalom, Rabbi. Good to see you again, and Shana Tova to you, and I hope you're doing well. You're in the, the midst of a harsher lockdown. <laughs> it has, hasn't been completely yeah. uh, clarified yet uh, what the implications will be for Yom Kippur, which is approaching this um, Sunday night. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to get to the synagogue and pray together. But the year is starting out um, in, a, in, a, in an interesting way. Don't they say you wouldn't you wouldn't have to you, you, would they make it so severe that you could not it's go being discussed. to school it's, it's or, actually or, uh, as we speak now as you and I go to Mike to record today the 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 uh, special what's called the corona cabinet which is a Top, the top <laughs> uh, Corona um, Knesset ministers, uh, they are meeting. Of course, to, yeah, to me, it sounds like a place you keep <laughs> right. a good six, right. six pack. So they're beer. they're meeting to discuss the <laughs> the implications and the final the final uh, rendering of the of the um, lockdown, which apparently there's a whole controversy amongst the the upper echelon of the ministers uh, as to um, how severe it should be. There are those that are calling for it to be more severe than it than it already has started out being. Um, but of course, there's a lot of economic um, um, ep- implications from it and all, all sorts of uh, issues that are being raised. We're all having the same problem. The, the government is almost seems to be using all of this as almost a cudgel against those who are believers. You can go out and demonstrate all day long if you want to, but if you want to go to assemble in a, you know, a, a place to worship God, they're, they're, they're not making it very easy for us, either here or in Israel or any other One place. of the things that's being considered now here in Israel, uh, one of the things that's being demanded by some, by some members of Knesset is uh, one rule for all gatherings. That should apply equally to mm-hmm. to leisure, uh, whether it's time at the beach, to demonstrations, which is touted as such an important democratic right, and to the religious right to assemble to pray as well. So hopefully all of this will be worked out, and uh, and we believe that it's all for the good. And of course, no one wants to take a chance with the virus. Everyone wants to do their part to keep it in check, but but it does it does seem. Um, a bit heavy-handed right now. In any event, um, the traditional greeting right now, Jim, in these special days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the traditional prayerful wish that we wish everyone is Gmar Chatimatova, which means may you have a good ceiling. Yeah. Because, of course, as we've been emphasizing, the writing first stage, as it were, in the book, what took place on Rosh Hashanah. And now during these days of repentance, we have the opportunity to really change any verdict, God forbid, that was negative on Rosh Hashanah through our resolve, through our behavior, through our acceptance upon ourselves of uh, renewal. And uh, the final ceiling is on Yom Kippur. So these are highly spiritually charged days right now of tremendous um, uh, potential and resolve. In fact, this Shabbat, Mm-hmm. In fact, there's an idea that every one of the days of the of the, what are called the days of repentance in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, they correspond to that day of the whole year. So, for example, on on the Wednesday of the ten days of repentance, that's our opportunity to fix, as it were, um, every every Wednesday that we muffed up, every every Wednesday that we were not. Um, cognizant enough of our relationship with Hashem that we that we allowed it to to uh, snap you know uh, Wednesday is the day that we can fix all the Wednesdays and so too this Shabbat is called the Sabbath of repentance Shabbat Shuvah which actually takes its name from the Haftarah from the uh, prophetic reading which is read on the Sabbath of repentance it takes its name from the words that begin, the uh, the Haftorah in the book of Hosea, uh, where Hosea says, uh, "Return, O Israel, to Hashem your God." Shuva, Shuva, Israel, return. So it's called Shabbat Shuva, mm. and this Sabbath also has a, a very, very powerful spiritual 
message of fixing. Everything is always about fixing, but isn't every day of our lives also about fixing? And and um, as Maimonides cites in his Laws of Repentance, um, Hashem is always listening, and and the 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 the, the um, possibility, the the ability that we have to turn to Him. To turn away from our past and to and to renew ourselves and to and to cleanse ourselves and to repent. It's it's every day of the year, but there's a special special quality about. The, I know we've been saying that since Elul, Jim, but there is the this is the time. This is is absolutely the time. And so and so you know on the backdrop of this Torah portion of Ha'azinu, which literally means give ear, you know, uh, listen. You know, again, this is the the third of the four Torah portions, the four the four last Torah portions of the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy, uh, Moshe's end game, his final oration before leaving the world. He's departing from his beloved people, and in one assembly, basically, he's going through these four Torah portions: Tzavim, Vayelech, and now Ha'azinu, and then next week's Vezot Bracha, which of course is read on Simchat Torah. But this Torah portion is so unique because it is, if you're looking into the um, into a, a authoritative Hebrew text, you know, like, like the stone um, art scroll Tanakh or anything that reproduces the way it's written in the Torah scroll, it's written as a song. You know, there's a number of songs right. in the Torah. There's the Az Yashir in the book of Exodus, the song of Moshe and the children of Israel when they cross the sea. There's the song of Deborah. And there's this song. And this song is... It's just so powerful and it, and it's so bold, you know, the imagery. And it's basically Moshe begins the song by by calling heaven and earth to witness what he's about to say. And the song is in you know, it's very very evocative. There's a lot of a lot of amazing imagery. It's hard to understand, and there are many authorities that consider this song of Parshat Ha'azinu to be a prophetic tapestry basically painting a portrait of everything that that transpires to the nation of Israel and in the world from the beginning until the end. So it is um, definitely uh, uh, tinged and and, and, and and taunt with tremendous um, end of days type of tension, Mashiach type of tension. And the major theme of the of the song, and it is it's a song, it's a song of rebuke. The major theme of the theme of the song mm-hmm. seems to be uh again a, a, as Moshe touched upon um considerably all throughout the book of Deuteronomy it's his concern that the people are going to forget Hashem it's his concern that the people are going to uh snap lose it disconnect whether it's because of their prosperity which is a natural um, recipe for for arrogance and for, for forgetting where you came from, or whether it is pressure from the nations. He's extremely concerned about their um, moving away from Hashem, and he says it in such a way that it's not it's no longer a concern; it's a fact. But this is what's going to happen. But then he also uh, makes it quite clear that Hashem will never separate himself from his people and that uh, ultimately their their bond will be stronger than ever and um, and and even though their their behavior is going to bring consequences um, they will they will flourish in the end so it's a it's just a sprawling massive um, um, picture of um, of the future and some of the verses are, are just so amazing they're all amazing but some of them just seem to speak to every every generation you know he, he starts out talking about um and and every every word here as far as heavens and earth and the, and, and my, my teaching drop like rain my utterance flow like the dew all all of these um metaphors they're they're purposeful and they they all have a very specific um meaning he says the rock Perfect is his work, for all his paths are justice, a God of faith without iniquity, righteous and fair is he. And then he says in, in the Hebrew, Shichet lo, lo, banav mumam, dor ikesh uftalto. It's extremely poetic, the amazing, um, the amazing words in the song. He says, corruption is not his, the blemish is his children's. 
a perverse and twisted generation. Is it to Hashem that you t that you do this, O vile and unwise people? Is he not your father, your master? Has he not created you and firmed, and firmed you? So basically what he's saying is, you know, there's so many people that the natural reaction of people when things don't go according to plan is to blame God. It's a very, it's a very, very common mm -hmm. thing. Like, you know, I'm, I, where's your love, God? I'm not seeing enough love here. <laughs> you, know, you know, this idea of, of God being love, and, but of course, love on my terms. So, so, so right. everybody blames God. And so he's saying here, every, every fault that you find, shichet, low, low, corruption is not his. The blemish is his children. It's like, take responsibility. It's all about you. It's not about him. What's coming, what's coming down to you is what you are producing. It's not from him. How could you ascribe such a thing to Hashem? Hashem is your father. Hashem is your creator. Does it, you know, how, how could you ascribe such a thing to him? Rob Cook uh, says a very concise and interesting thing about this, this Torah Parsha. Basically says that our perception, uh, our concept of God, how we actually view God, it impacts our service to Hashem, our worship of him. Do we perceive him as, quote, the angry God of the Old Testament? And, and what you're saying now is so deep because, because that's really, isn't that what we discussed about the secret of anilidodi, vidodili? In other words, the, the lower arousal is we create, like Hashem is your shadow, right? The Baal Shem Tov on King David's words in Psalms. Hashem is your shadow at your right hand because whatever reality you create, Hashem will mimic, as it were, because you will, you will get what you, it's reciprocal. It's reciprocal because if you if you if you are negative about the relationship, then that is what you are creating. So some people would actually call it karma. That's one expression of it: is that you uh, you are, you're going to get back, you're going to reap what you sow. Hashem is going to is going to give you back, and and this also touches on the idea that that people don't often realize is is how ex how fair Hashem is to all of us. To the to the righteous and to the wicked, and and I always uh, think of the story of, uh, strangely enough, of Nebuchadnezzar, and he became you know the so-called head of gold in his day. He became the richest man in in his era. You know, not only did he become the richest man, and he he, he accumulated all this wealth, which is what he wanted. He also accumulated enough power to be to make. Uh, Bavel, a world power. And the sages tell this interesting story is that was his reward from Hashem. He, and of course, he was used in, in a, a variety of ways by Hashem. When you do good, when you commit acts of kindness and, and you do goodness, uh, Hashem repays you over and above what you, quote, deserve, end quote. And the sages tell the story that simply because when he was a uh, an official. He was a court official as a young man in the Assyrian uh, palace, and that every time someone from Israel would come, whether it was a, a prophet or whether it was an emissary that came from the kingdom of Israel, he would take two steps back and bow in deference because he had so much respect for the for the Jewish people as a young man. Regarding Hashem's mitot, that just as he punishes for. Uh, wicked acts, so he also rewards a wicked person for the good that they do. It's not like Hashem says, "Oh, this person has no redeeming value." He does, you know, because he's wicked. Because the majority of his acts are wicked, he doesn't. Yeah. He does not um, ignore the, the, any any good that any person does. Everybody is preparing for Yom Kippur in their own way. You are specifically given directions on how to approach Yom Kippur. How do I, as a non-Jew, and how do all of our listeners? who love God, how do we do that? Do we do it in the very same way as you? Do we fast? Do we spend the day? Uh, and let's talk about it, afflicting right. ourselves. That, that's, that sounds like such a medieval concept in some ways, like the that, modern mind. First of all, it's a, it's a wonderful point that you're raising, and I, I'd like to talk about the relevancy of Yom Kippur to the whole world. The thing is, first of all, you know, when we were learning about Rosh Hashanah, we were discussing the fact that the, you know, the progression, the order is that Rosh Hashanah is first about recognition and acknowledgement of Hashem's sovereignty. And that that sinks in 
over Rosh Hashanah, accompanied by the blasts of the shofar, that's the coronation of Hashem, and we really internalize that Hashem is king over all of us, over our hearts, over our minds, over our liver, over everything about us, our, our inclination and our reaction, Hashem is king. So hopefully during these days, we're really still working on, on that as we are engaging in the fine art of repentance that I want to speak about. And we come up to Yom Kippur, which is this incredible global spiritual cleanse and renewal. And it definitely is um, something that applies to every single human being. And I think it's extremely misunderstood also because a lot of people have this idea, you know, we, we spoke about it in terms of Rosh Hashanah also, that people think Rosh Hashanah is very like, whoa, very like, you know, severe and very, very scary, you know, as the time of judgment. And so too, especially in terms of the, the idea of the what Leviticus 23 calls affliction, people think that Yom Kippur is a sad day. Mm-hmm. People think it's a, it's a day for being sorry and afflicting yourself. And basically when... The Torah tells us in Leviticus 23, you shall afflict yourselves. People take that as being like a punishment. Like you have to, basically you have to like torture yourself as some sort of uh, atonement. And and nothing could be further than the truth. I must, I must, I must insist on that right now. And I hope if, if people are listening at least to this part of the program, they'll, they'll walk away understanding that that is a total misunderstanding because, and it's interesting that the everybody knows that we fast on Yom Kippur, but the Torah doesn't even say to fast. The Torah uses this expression, you shall afflict yourselves, which again, uh, the, the inexorable connection between the written Torah and the oral Torah, Hashem gave over to Moshe the details of what that means. That there, there are basically five types of affliction. It's abstaining from food and drink and, and, and other things as well. So, so, but the thing is, the reason that we, that we do not eat on Yom Kippur is not because we are punishing ourselves or, or you know, like trying to um, do some sort of um, pe- physical penance, you know, like punishing the flesh. But, but Jim, uh, rather, what it really is about is, is about um, liberating ourselves from materialism. This is such a beautiful idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's breathtaking. It, 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 the idea is that we we get so high on Yom Kippur that that the physicality doesn't define us anymore you know you know we always talk about the tyranny of the ego we're always talking about that you know that you know and it's one of the, the teachings that I always go back to when we talk whether we're talking about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden we're talking about Sheikh we, we, we talk a lot about the concept of ego how it was introduced into the fabric of creation and into the psyche of mankind with the eating of the tree of the fruit of the tree of knowledge but 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 this illusion of of ego that which is so which has such a tyrannical hold over us on Yom Kippur it's melted away completely and and basically, you know, we ascend to an angelic level, and honestly, the the, the thing about not eating is not because it's like oh goodness like I'm so hungry I wish I could have my sandwich now like I want to eat it's like who could think about eating Jim. Who could think about eating? It, it no. is, we are, and this is how I want to put it, we are liberated from materialism and and the way we look at ourselves as being physical beings, it doesn't work anymore. We're not, we're not, we're no longer defined by physicality. And this is the secret of this verse in, in, in you know, you mentioned Leviticus 23 about afflicting yourself. We become free from all borders. And that's the secret of Leviticus chapter six and verse 30, that you shall be purified before Hashem. We we basically we're, we're we're not sad. We are mindful and totally cognizant of our relationship with Hashem, but we're also mindful and totally cognizant of the pain that we have caused others, the pain of the world, and if you if you don't mind, the pain that we've caused Hashem, as it were, and. Um, and and so this the, the 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 thing about Yom Kippur is that it's an incredible guarantee that Hashem makes that we will be able to reset completely. It is it is staggering. It is staggering to think about. And of course, our experience is <clears throat> is um, basically a shell of what it was intended to be because we do not have the Holy Temple right now. And in the time of the Holy Temple, let me put it to you this way: There's, there is a Mishnah that declares that the two happiest days of the year when the Holy Temple is standing are Tuba Av, 
right? The 15th day of Av and Yom Kippur. Right. And the, these are the two happiest days of the year because now why is Yom Kippur s- considered to be a happy day? Because it is a day that Hashem guarantees forgiveness. It, it's not conditional. It's a guarantee. And so in the, in the Holy Temple, when the true nature of reality is revealed, revealed, now this is the problem with our reality without the Holy Temple is that everything is murky and everything is is not in focus, but with the Holy Temple and the high priest doing the service of the of the, of the holy of the of the day of Yom Kippurim himself and his pronouncing of the of the name of Hashem and the prostration that takes place in the Holy Temple, which is basically a concept of this implosion of the ego. You know, when everyone hears the name of Hashem pronounced as it is only once a year on the Yom Kippurim in the Holy Temple by the high priest. And everyone, I spoke about this in, in our video lesson for Parashat Ki Tavo in, in reference to the, for the to bring of the first fruits, but that's the secret of the prostration in the Holy Temple is that there's, there's no more me. The, like the me is cancel. You've heard of cancel culture? When we hear the name of Hashem pronounced in the Holy Temple, I can, my knees give out. I'm I'm not standing because I'm not here anymore. I'm part of the whole. It's this experience of understanding the true nature of reality. Uh, so that 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 takes place, and so and that that's why our sages describe Yom Hakipurim as being the day of joy because it's this incredible refocus of of Hashem's love, and it's a revelation. It's a it's a revelation of of love. And 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 it, 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 well, I'll just one thing. That's right. you know, there's a famous thought. The really truly highest day of the year is Purim because that is the day when all the masks are. Actually, people wear masks. Of course, now everybody's wearing masks. But that is the day when metaphorically all the masks are removed, and we see the true nature of 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 reality. That even though Hashem's name is not mentioned in the Book of Esther, and even though He was behind the scenes, it was all coming together perfectly with his divine orchestration because of his intense love. And so the idea is that that Yom Kippur, the actual name of it is Yom HaKippurim in the plural, which can be read right. as a day, Yom HaKippurim, a day like Purim. And there's an allusion to Purim in, the, in Ha'azinu, in the Purim Parsha. He speaks of hiding his face. Because you had asked earlier, should people be fasting? How should they be observing Yom Kippur? Listen, listen. there's definitely oh, yeah. an advantage to fasting, even if it is not commanded. Uh, Israel is commanded to fast, but the fact is that there are many sensitive people, people who love the Torah, who are not Jewish and who love Hashem, who understand that the nature of the day, who understand the powerful dynamic that's at work um, in Hashem's world on that day. And so they want to um, make a good impression, as it were. They want to show Hashem that they are they, they are of a contrite, contrite spirit, and they want to identify with with the instructions in Leviticus 23. So, you know, the Jewish idea of fasting is um, is a lot more serious than... A, lo- a lot of people, you know, say that they're fasting, you know, but they drink and they eat lightly and this type of thing. And the Torah's concept of fast, of course, Yom Kippur is basically a 26-hour fasting fast also, but it is... It is without anything at all, without any anything passing the lips. Um, of course, there are exceptions for people who uh, are uh, have medical conditions, have pre-existing conditions, and for whom for whom fasting is dangerous. And one has to be very careful and not be uh, overly pious or or righteous when it comes to endangering their health. They have to inquire of. Um, of their healthcare professional as well as their rabbi to see what they should do exactly because there are there are different rules that apply to different people in terms of even if they are allowed to break their fasting in ter- on Yom Kippur in terms of how they should break it with what amount of food and drink and that and that sort of thing but the concept of fasting is 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 very very important but back to back to your new question now because um, I really would like to talk about the power of repentance. And how important it is to uh, to apply that to ourselves on during this time. Um, but before we talk about repentance, we really have to talk about what what sin is. It's an important um, notion because everyone can define it differently. And so I, I think that, uh, and I shared this with some people recently. I, I think that um, the most authentic 
definition in Torah, in a Torah mindset of what sin really is, is is a state of temporary insanity. Because if we were, because we snap momentarily, because we don't, it's because it's very difficult for a person to constantly be focused on the reality of Hashem. If we were able to to constantly be in a state of trembling and realize that Hashem's presence is is with us, we would never have any sort of lapse whatsoever. But it's very hard to remember that all the time. So interestingly, um, Maimonides, when he writes about the concept of repentance. You know, because you have to understand, repentance is a, is a tremendous gift. I, I call it the greatest gift that Hashem gives man. It's a fundamental teaching of Torah that any person, Jew or non-Jew, who repents, his sins are forgiven. Jim, and this is so important because it's not what a lot of people believe. There's no in- intermediary. There's no mediator. It's just what Deuteronomy 30 states in in verses 2 to 3, if you return to God your Lord and listen to his voice, God will then accept your repentance and have compassion on you. And so the doors of repentance are open to every human being, and it's effective for every sin, no matter how serious. And the sages teach nothing can stand before repentance. There's several things about this, though. One is that there's a concept of the fact that there are two types of sins. There are sins that are committed between man and God, and there are sins that are committed between man and man. And, of course, the sins that are committed between man and man are are also committed to God because God commands us to be good to our fellow men. But the sins that are committed between man and man are not forgiven by God until we attempt to appease the person whom we've wronged. So that's a very, very, very important idea. But on this concept of, of, of nothing can stand before repentance, Maimonides tells us something amazing. He says, actually, there is a type of sin about which it's very, very hard to repent. I won't, I won't say that it's impossible, but it might be. It's very, very hard to repent for a certain type of sin. And what is that? The sin where a person says, you know what? I can't help myself. I, I, got, I, I just, I got to... I can't, I can't help myself. I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to repent about it later. So the Rambam says that yeah. when a person sins, but says to himself at the time, I'm going to do tshuva about this, that you can't repent for. Why? Mm-hmm. Because you see from this that I'm right about my definition. Because if you, if you had the presence of mind to realize that it was wrong, then it's not temporary insanity in that case. And the sages stated that yeah. a person does not sin unless there enters into him a spirit of folly. It's called ruach shtut, like a, like a silliness, a certain kind of silly, silly spirit. And that silly spirit is like this disconnect, which is only human. It's momentary. And so it's, it's, it's temporary insanity. And what we want to do is we want to take back our cognizance and, and our responsibility. Listen, one of the most beautiful things that, that Yom Kippur really teaches us is Hashem's incredible love for every person and the fact that He basically trusts us enough to, to do this, that He's giving us this opportunity to, to, to fix the relationship and to come back to Him, as it were. And, the, and so the word chet, which is sin, which I'm defining as temporary insanity, actually has a a um, connection in in Hebrew to missing the mark. Let's say like and pointing an arrow, right. you know, which is lechavein. So lachto is really to is to go off to the side to miss to miss the mark. And so when we learn about repentance, how powerful it is, and how it has the ability to to fix everything. The important question really is, well, what does that mean exactly? Because it's not just about um, abstaining from from food and from the other things for that 26-hour period. It's not, and it certainly isn't just lip service. And this is, this is really important because everything about Torah is real. Whether it's for Jews or non-Jews, everybody knows that it is it's a real experience it's it's really solid you know it's a, it's a program it's not something that you just sit home and meditate about it's based on action it's based on it's based on a covenant it's based on accepting upon ourselves our responsibility so it's it's never going to be fixed just by mouthing something off and saying like oh i'm sorry or something like that and yet the 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 power of repentance is so great that e- that we learn that even if a person has lived 
uh, 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 their whole life in, in absolute evil and denying and, and blaspheming God, they can still mm -hmm. be forgiven, right? Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 12. The evil of the wicked man shall not trip him up on the day he turns away from his wicked way. So, so it's, a, it's a very, very powerful tool. And, um, and even if a person, you know, uh, like I say, is, um, has, has, has been wicked for his whole life, doesn't Ezekiel also say in, in, um, in the previous verse in that chapter, chapter, chapter 33 and verse 11, God doesn't want a person to be punished. He says, as I live, says God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but I desire that he turn from his way and live. So this is a, a universal thing, you know, um, 1 Kings chapter 8 says, there is no man who does not sin. So every, every person has the opportunity to engage in this process. But what is it exactly? This is what we want to talk about. What is, what, how does it work? Because in its most perfect sense, it actually consists of four elements, which actually are... are um, deduced from the book of Hosea, chapter 14, which is going to be our, our um, Haftorah for this, um, for this Shabbat, yeah. How appropriate. So this, what you're talking about now, you're getting into now, is the actual, yes, the, I, the mechanics. I wanna, the, the, you, you literally go through well, this I, I, process. Let's examine it this, this way. Let's examine it this way so that we don't, so that it isn't yeah. left up to the definition of every person. Because one thing about Torah is that it's, everything is well-defined, you know, the commandments and their execution. And um, it's a well-defined uh, understanding what Hashem expects from us. So, so th there's an idea that there are four stages as you, as if you would, or, or four um for parts of, of repentance, and they are changing one's ways, sincere regret, confession to Hashem, and resolve not to repeat the sin. And these four stages are basically included in, in the words of Hosea, return Israel to God your Lord, for you have regretted your sin, take along words, and return to God, say to him, we will no longer make gods out of the work of our hands. So, so there, basically the idea is a person can, you know, say that they're sorry about something, but if they don't actually change and show that they are a different person, then, then it's not real. So changing one's ways is essential. Sincere regret is essential. In other words, if you don't take it seriously and don't really think that it was that it was that big a deal, then that then that doesn't count. It, there has to actually be remorse, confession, oral confession, which is reflected by the words of the prophet. Take along words means that we actually speak audibly. No one else has to hear it, but Hashem. But we actually, but we have to hear the words leave our lips. We have to hear it with our own ears and we have to hear We have to hear ourselves saying to Hashem, Hashem, I did such and such and I'm really, really sorry and I never want to do it again and I never will do it again. And, and this is part of the beautiful experience of the communal prayers on Yom Kippur, which anybody I think can see online in the High Holiday Prayer Book um, for Yom Kippur. The formula that Israel uses for for this prayer on Yom Kippur, in addition to private personal prayer, which of course can is said as well, but there's a formula which is in the plural, and it goes by alphabet. It's like an it's like an it's like a an alphabetical listing of every possible uh, failure <laughs> and backsliding that a person can commit, and and so that we don't forget it, it go you know so we don't forget when it goes by al by alphabets. And it describes all of these human failings that we literally bend over and beat our breast over the mention of each word. But it's in the plural, Jim. It's in it's in the plural. Right. We did this and this. We did this and that. And there are some things there that honestly, like I know I didn't do. Like Jim, I didn't commit adultery. I promise. So mm -hmm. so, but all of the but all mm -hmm. these things are in the plural, and that's part of the beautiful idea, is that it's like we're like one man. 
We're like one body. And it's like this mutual right. responsibility. Like it's, maybe the person who did those things isn't taking responsibility and isn't repenting. And I know about it and our, I saw it. So there's something in me also that reflects that. So, so we all repeat all of these things even if there's things that we feel that we did not do, it's, 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 it's this total catharsis of the body of Israel as one, as one person, as it were. And, and also there's, there, there's spiritual responsibility because there's spiritual damage that was done by all of this. So we're all part right. of it. And we're, all trying to, we're all trying to elevate it. This is, yeah, this is the dynamic that, that, that in the beginning sets Israel apart as, as a holy nation. And, and by extension, Hashem wants all nations to act in this way, which is which is uh, this. You're constantly being reminded that 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 if there are sins in that in a nation, we're all responsible for it. You know, we we it's it's like when we do something, when we miss the mark, it, it's almost as if there are spiritual waves from a pebble going into a pond, and it, and it. it it uh, resonates out. It somehow it, it impacts everyone, our neighbors, and and it's something that it, you know it it makes us, I think, more uh, cognizant of of how we we really have to look. I out think it is the it is the ultimate example of loving your neighbor as yourself. It is the ultimate example of that of that most important principle of Torah because there's spiritual damage that's going on in the world. So even, I mean, I mean, I think the Torah is really teaching us that a person can't live in a bubble or what you'd call an ivory tower and say like, well, the world is going to hell, whatever, but I'm doing my thing and I'm just so high and holy and I'm so close to Hashem. It doesn't work like that. Look around the world today. Look out the window. Everything that's going on in the world today and the whole Corona is a message that none of us are, are bringing Hashem into the world the way that we, the way that we need to. And and as far as the final ceiling is concerned for Yom Kippur, and and again, you know, like in the shadow of of Corona, it's like I'm I'm so totally confident in in Hashem's message to us that that is a message of love, that is a message of of uh, of hope. You know, we're go, we're going through this very difficult, unprecedented time, and we're all so impacted by it. But it's it's so clear that it is a, that it is a divine orchestration. It's so clear that it is that it is uh, something um, not, you know, not of this world. That that the, the the whole timing thing, and there is spiritual damage that is that is done by our by our negativity. I don't even like to use the word sin by our negativity. So when we look at these at these stages that I just mentioned, you know, changing one's ways, sincere regret, confession, and resolve to not to repeat the sin. The last three. You know, changing one's ways is kind of like a personal thing, even though it will have it will have impact on society. But the last three of the things that I mentioned are necessary to rectify the spiritual damage that we do to our main to our main faculties of thought, speech, and action. Regret rectifies a person's thoughts. Confession rectifies a person's speech, and resolve is for the action itself. But but the first prerequisite for everything is to change, is to abandon the practice. If a person says that they're repenting, but they're still immersed in their sin and they can't break the habit and they're still addicted to it, then it's, it's worthless. It's doesn't, it doesn't count at all. So, you know, the, the, the initial step of, of starting to change and starting to change one's, one's life is, is uh, so incredibly important. And the interesting thing about all of this is that ultimately, where's the proof? That I really did it, Jim. In other words, let, let's say I, I say to myself, or I convince myself, okay, wow, I'm a new person. I really repented. You know, new person. The the proof, first of all, is going to be the next day. Like, <laughs> oh my god, yeah. bust up. Am I going <laughs> to step on someone's foot again? Am I going to? Am I going to be impatient? Am I going to be unloving? Am I going to be, you know, ornery? And I'm going to be the same guy that I was before? Or or is it going to show a difference? So that that's the first thing. The second thing is that ultimately Hashem himself is going to prove it. And, and this is a, a, another very beautiful thing that Maimonides mentions, that, that Hashem who knows the secrets, Hashem who knows things that other people don't know, who sees things that they, other people don't see, he is going to be the one who is ultimately going to testify that this person really did repent because, the, because this is a time release thing. The proof is going to not be on Yom Kippur when we're feeling really 
really great and confident. The proof is going to be how we act after <clears throat> after Yom Kippur, if we really did change. And, and, and there's another thought that I'd like to share about this, which I think is so incredibly profound, and I think I think is just so totally unique to Torah and to a Torah mindset, that some people might hear this and just might think it's absolutely inexplicable, and it is inexplicable. And they might think, well, this is really just over the top. But this idea, this is idea that the sages speak about, which is the most remarkable idea of all, that, you know, there's two levels of repentance. There's the lower level, and there's a higher level. The lower level is called repenting out of a motivation of fear, of awe of Hashem. And that right. involves a person basically feeling um, uh, scared, you know, it's, it is fear, you know, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my loved ones? Am I going to be decreed to death? You know, have I gone too far? Is this, am I going to see uh, repercussions? And then the next level, which by the way, is there's nothing wrong with that. There's, you know, if only the world, you know, the majority of the people would be motivated by fear of God, we, we would be living in a completely different world. So I'm not going to, I'm not anything negative about right. that as if it's a low level. Believe me, it's a wonderful level. But there's yet another level above that, which is called repenting out of love. And in that level, it's like the motivation is just like, wow, how could I have done this to Hashem? Like, how could I have rebelled against Him using the very, the very life force that He gives me in such love Using that against him, spitting in his face, literally, like he gives me the he gives me the power to live, the power to breathe. He gives me everything, and and then I I go and I I go against hit the direction of the universe. So so that level of repenting is like teshuva me'ava from love is basically saying like, wow, I can't believe I let you down. Like I wasn't there for you, and I and I don't want that to ever happen. I don't want to ever. Mm -hmm. I think that's what Rav Rav Cook was right. alluding to. He was talking about service to God, but it's the same thing in that, uh, you know, that higher level of repentance w w shows that we have. Uh, uh, it's something we can we can uh, uh, look forward to that we can grow to the point where our perception of who Hashem is in, in our life and into the world that we would want to repent for that reason, just because, Oh my God, I'm I, so I can't believe I, I just, I you. can't believe that. Where was I? Like where, you're here. You're always here for me. Where was I? So, so, but the, with the mm -hmm. to share a, an unbelievable idea about this, which is, which is just, it's God logic. It's not human logic. It is, it is inexplicably um, profound. And this is what they say. They say that when a person engages in that lower initial level of repentance uh, out of fear, then God basically changes the reckoning in Shemaim in heaven. He changes the, the chalkboard. He changes the score. And he takes those sins that a person committed on purpose, and he changes it, their reckoning, as if they were committed by accident. Actually, accidentally. Right, right. It's, it's, a, but, it's a miracle. But they go on, really the is. sages in the Talmudic discourse, they go on to say, mm -hmm. and that, that's incredible, right, that God takes the chalk and he, and he strikes it out and he says, no, that wasn't on purpose, that was an accident. Like, whoa. But even more so, when a person engages in the second level of repentance out of love, then God takes the sins that were done on purpose and he changes them into merits. He changes them mm -hmm. as if they were mitzvot, as if they were, this is, what did you say? This is like staggering. He takes it and he changes it into as if they were merits. And, and I think what that really shows us is that a, a real Baal Teshuvah, a person who really is a master of repentance, that's what Baal Teshuvah means. He embraces this ability to change and he doesn't get stuck in the past. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't get despondent or get, get obsessed in guilt on the past, but he's able to move forward. He realizes, you know what? Okay. I snapped. It wasn't deliberate rebellion. And I should, 
Hashem took me on this whole circuitous roots because I would not be where I am today in my deep love and commitment to Hashem if I hadn't gone through these things. And so it's it's a way, so teshuva me'ava, repenting out of love, is a way of elevating everything that we've done back to a source in divinity and saying, wow, God led me to him through this wild and crazy roots but that's how we elevate a mm-hmm. sin into a merit. Is is I wouldn't I, if I wouldn't have gone through that. And they just say this in many other places as well. They say that a person can only stand up in the Torah, can only stand in Torah, if they have gone through this kind of experience and and be and and they're able to come through it and realize that like, Hashem is everywhere. Hashem was also with me when I sinned, and now He's bringing me back to Him. So so the bottom line of all of this incredible idea is that God is a revisionist historian because he actually changes our personal history, puts us in a time machine, which is made of repentance. It's the original H.G. Wells. He puts us in a time machine. And when we come out the other side, stronger, enriched, more committed to him, again, if it's real, Jim, if it's real, if it wasn't just lip service, we have actually changed the fabric of creation because we've become better. So that's what Yom Kippur really is. It is it is the most profound experience and revelation of Hashem's love. And so as opposed to the, the, like the impression that people might have that it is like it is very, 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 very somber or serious or sad. Yeah, it, it is definitely extremely serious because if you blow it, because if you don't take this opportunity to avail yourself of this incredible promise from Hashem, then it, that's a shame. But it is it is a joy. It is no wonder. No wonder the sages say that in the time of the temple, when things were clearer than they are now, it's considered to be the happiest day of the year because this is the greatest example of Hashem's commitment and love of, of us, and it's a reciprocal relationship. It suddenly makes me think of the Paraduma, the, the the red heifer, and and how the 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 this mystery of how the how the unclean makes the clean. I see. see what you're saying. There's so much that we that we don't understand, and how could we really yeah. profess or expect to understand uh, how Hashem how Hashem mm-hmm. works things? But the fact is, it's it's not. Um, there's no lim- there's no limit here. There's no limit, and and our tendency, and I, I think this is one of the major things that we need to repent about on Yom Kippur. Our tendency is to is to departmentalize Hashem so much we don't want Him in our lives all the time and everywhere. And of course, there, there's the basis of sin right there. But we want Him, you know, like where He where we where it's convenient for us, and like you know, like we have. Um, we have religion, you know, whatever. Like it's good for me when I want it. I saw some posting on Facebook with some demonstration in California where with a woman dressed up like the devil with red horns and a tail, holding up a big sign saying, "Keep God out of California." So, so, so you know wow. what? I think every every one of us, to some extent, um, I hope not that um, extreme, but some of us have this feeling, you know, like okay. Uh, it's all fun. It's all fun. You know, it's good. Like I believe in God, but like, I don't want him here in this part of my life. I don't want to hear this. I'm just saying if we're really, really honest and that's what Yom Kippur is all about. Yom Kippur is about, no, let, let him in everywhere. Let that light reach everywhere. And you will, you will be a different person because it's not, it's not cumbersome. It's yeah, not a, you can, you it's know, not a the, burden. It's life itself. It's life itself. Yeah. You know, there's this idea that you can change your DNA by changing your your thinking and your behavior, and that's what you're. You you, I never heard about that. That's that. incredible. I mean, you mean your DNA yeah, actually the, changes the idea, if, you, if you? Yeah, you 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 we creation. God has given us the power, and science is bearing this out. That by literally uh, making a major change in our thought processes, you know to the point where we are we are seriously changing our behavior it has it impacts our so you're DNA. saying that a, a new energy and is going to actually change the structure of your dna because basically it, you're saying that if you really have a new energy you are becoming a different person yes and, it, and as wild as it sounds science seems to be bearing that out and they when they talk about this when geneticists talk about it, then they also sort of are beginning to step into the realm of quantum mechanics but that's what this is all about is that th- th- this is a it's it's an actual uh, and it shows you how there is there is this 
uh, on a on a, a level that we cannot see, subatomic microscopic level. There is this tenuous connection between our physical realm and, and the spiritual realm, but there's a connection. And people people need to remember that there's not a disconnect. People tend to, in their everyday lives, they tend to to um, uh, sort of compartmentalize. Well, that's my physical self, and that's and then there's the spiritual self, and we're completely separate. No, they're not. You and I, you and I once talked sp- about this a long time ago, and we talked about this wonderful mm-hmm. book called The Holographic Universe. And we talked about the concept yes. that, um, according to um, this scientific research, memory. And by the way, Rosh Hashanah was called the, the day of of memory, and and Ha'azinu also partial yeah. Ha'azinu was also is all about memory. But memory is apparently stored in a cloud. It is not stored in our brain. Mm-hmm. There isn't enough room. It is our memories. And indeed, our consciousness altogether is is offshore. It is, it is um, in a cloud. And so, mm-hmm. that idea in terms of the holographic universe is that all of us, our consciousness, is in Hashem's thought. It is it it is um, in Hashem's consciousness. We we yeah. are part of this much greater um, conscious reality. Reality, yeah, yeah, and, and it's all encoded. It's all written. This is part of the, when 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 we read these things from these centuries old sages that say that you know that we're inscribed in the book of life. I wonder if on some some level the book of life is on a phys in the physical realm is not our DNA, or or rather it is our DNA. We're literally rewriting our future. In other words, we can't escape our past. This is what he had to remind Adam. You have been given free will. And this is why Adam, the first man, realized that the, the most the, the greatest gift of being a human being was exactly. repentance. Exactly. And, and, and so the, the opportunity yeah. is um, staggering, immense, joyful. It is global. I want to bless, wish, pray, love, think for everyone that's listening, all of our listeners, and for you, Jim, and for the whole world. A totally new world, a totally new morning. <laughs> One of Bob's greatest new morning, and absolutely a new beginning. So it is basically time for a to make sure that we are sealed in the book of life. And definitely, in answer to your question, I, I th- it, would, it would be wonderful if everyone who loves Hashem and who finds themselves in Torah will find a way of expressing themselves that way on Yom Kippur, whether it's through some degree of fasting and certainly some degree of introspection and repentance so that we can really um, gear up together for, for a whole new world, a new morning. And again, uh, the whole Corona deal is um, highly, um, highly speculative at this point. And uh, I just know one thing. I, I know that Hashem is really, yeah. is really working here um, to bring us all to a new level of consciousness and shaking everything up completely. I sure hope that we're uh, able to... Um, to pray together here as a community and, and our brethren all over the world. I hope that we shall uh, hear good news about all of these developments. And in the meantime, it's, it's quite clear that we have a responsibility to reveal the, the blessing in all of this. So, Shana Tova, Chatima Tova, may we all be inscribed and sealed in the Book of Life for a wonderful, sweet, good, light, loved, filled new year. Shana Tova. Mm-hmm.